All right, guys, welcome back to Bible in Six. We are on a Bible binge day, day 25 of our podcast. We are in a big chunk, the last half of Leviticus, basically. Yeah. Last last third, maybe, wherever we are. Uh, it's Ben and Sam. What's up, Sam? What's up? We, yeah, we're finishing Leviticus. Who's your favorite 25? You said day 25, and I immediately like thought of like sports. Like, who's, who's a 25? Dude, uh, 25 is a gross sports number. Yeah, it kind of is, hey? Who, like, I don't know. Who who wears 25 that you would honestly cheer for? That's I tough. I don't know. I think Jimmy Butler might have worn it once. Because he, like, usually likes to go 23, 20-something. 20, 20 Maybe. Best athletes who wore number 25. Yeah. Vince Carter. Oh, come Phoenix on. How did Suns? we not think of that? Well, I mean, with the Phoenix Suns. Okay. He didn't wear that all the time. That's good. Yeah, because 15 with the Raptors. Barry Bonds, number 25. D. Rose with the Pistons. That's Richard true. Sherman, Seattle Seahawks. This is a conversation that only a few people will care about. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Leviticus, but it is day 25. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Sammy Sosa with the Texans. We're on day Vince Carter of Bible Binge. Texans, not the Texans, the Texas Rangers. Duh. Yeah, everybody else. Uh, Mark McGuire with the San Diego Padres. Ben, didn't even know. What him. have you thought so far about Israel's journey through to Sinai? <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to rescue us from like, yeah. the sports references. He brings up the sports and he brings us back. We're two minutes in, people, and we've gotten nowhere. What have I thought about their journey so far? I mean, since um, our, our time in Exodus, not, not much has happened. There's been more of just like God declaring things over his people, the things that he'd like them, uh, that he desires for them to do. Um, there have been a couple little stories here and there. Um, but so far, like what we've found is that the people are still, there's a lot more information download. So, so it's essentially like, if you think about it, this is the best, you know, modern day kind of comparison. If you decide to move to a new country and some of the people listening have moved to a new country, you go through this like kind of screening process and you have to learn about the nation and like learn about all the new laws and the things you have to do. Like you got to get driver's licenses and you got to have addresses and you got to learn the national anthem and yeah. the provinces and and stuff like that they go through this whatever for lack of a better word the kind of a rigmarole so that you're understand what the country's all about the things we value all that kind of stuff um can i maybe try to interrupt with a different idea uh, instead of moving to a new country but my mind is thinking of like is when i was young and i would go to like a friend's house and the way they worked their house was just so completely different. And like, I would go to put the dishes in the sink or something. And then the mom's like, oh, actually you can like put that in the dishwasher or, you know, like a set dinner time is 530 instead of like 630. And like just everything is different and to like relearn those customs as well. Rather for people who maybe the country analogy doesn't relate to. I don't know. I yeah, totally. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. I think that was just like a macro version and yours yeah. is a micro version. Yeah. Um so th those are my thoughts. Those are your thoughts. Question. Yeah. I like it. I funny enough, I was doing a little virtual hangout with some friends and we were talking about 
the Bible and preaching on the Bible, how there are some, I guess, underrated or overrated books of the Bible. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but it just seems that, um, it seems that preachers will lean towards one book or another when they want to preach. And a lot of books get forgotten about, and it often ends up being a lot of Old Testament books. And then the conversation kind of shifted to be, what are some books of the Bible that we really don't like or we don't want to read? Like, we'll just kind of skip over it. And all of us unanimously agreed we would not want to read Leviticus. And then I started reading Leviticus. <laughs> and and I was going into got it. Em. Yeah, I was going into it with this mindset of like, yeah, I just got to grind this out. And, you know, we'll do whatever we can to get through this, to get the Bible in six and like, like there's more healthy habits that are going on than than just reading the Bible. So I was like focusing on those. And man, God like God did his God thing where I say something and then he just shows me how wrong I am. And Leviticus is crazy. Like the stories in it that I just like didn't understand or like what's going on that I didn't fully understand reading this time through just like blew me away. Like how how serious Leviticus actually is on the holiness of Israel as a nation um, in six to seven. And I'd be interested to see how much it says in just the book in general, but in chapter six to seven, I counted it and it says the word holy or like holy place 12 times. And that's in just two chapters. So I was thinking like another book title instead of Leviticus, Leviticus could just be like holy because that's what it's all about. Holiness of the people, holiness of God, how to be holy, and what it is like to live holy, like why it's good for you. So why do you think that people in general, because I think I would agree that there's kind of a stigma or a, um, like, a, yeah, just this reality where people think Leviticus is, Leviticus is just this not super fun thing to read. Um why do you think that's kind of a unanimous thing? So I think that the reason Leviticus can kind of kind of be tough is like it's got a perception that it's almost out of date, that a lot of these commands were for the people then, but not now, I think. Um, and that's like what a lot of pastors have unfortunately said is that like a lot of these commands aren't for us today. And I think that that's kind of like a very sad misdirection by the church that, that like all these burnt offerings will like, Oh, we don't really do offerings anymore. So we don't need to read these commands. We don't need to read the specifics. We don't need to know why or why not or how. So then it kind of just becomes a meaningless read in, in, in our subconscious. We're like, Oh, this isn't important to me today. So why does it matter? But I think like, it can tell you a lot about his character, but then even like to understand, you know, sin offerings, we don't really do that, but there's like Thanksgiving offerings that we do. It's just not an offering. It's like our worship or things like that. So I think that that's probably the main reason that we don't focus on it as much as it just doesn't feel relevant. No, that's fair. And I think, yeah, the, the overwhelming kind of, perception is that yeah there's because of 
the signs of the times have changed that you know we don't have to consider anymore but again as we're going to get into which we really need to we're eight minutes in here into the section that we've just binged today these 11 chapters um the ties into the things even that jesus quotes or things that are about jesus um the things that are new testament realities Again, when it comes to sacrifices, and, I, and I've said this before in the earlier podcast, that the this, the means of the sacrifice has changed. Jesus is a forever atoning sacrifice. There need not be animals, you know, poured out onto an altar. But what draws us to the need for that sacrifice doesn't change. Our sin, our need for repentance and the turning away from our wickedness, the things that separate from us from God still drive us to sacrifice, to that sacrifice of Jesus, to atone for us, to um, present ourselves, um, to be put back into right relationship with God because of that sacrifice still remain. And many of these laws, though some of them have been made obsolete, I think many of them transcend regardless, regardless of what you think of the sacrificial system. Many of these things are still God's heart for us today, whether it's about the widows or the orphans or the the strangers, the the aliens, the loving your neighbor, the not killing other people, not sleeping with people within your family line. These are all of these things that um, are still relevant today, not just because God likes it, but because it creates a good society when these things either are present or the things that God's God doesn't like aren't present. And so, um, like in, in chapter 17, we'll just kind of get into it. Like we get into some, like, don't lie with your family, with beasts, with people of the same sex as you, these, these kind of sexual orientations with yourself that you're supposed to abstain from because it creates like major complications within a society and um and so that those kinds of things are still relevant to today and especially have you know another reason we don't like to read these things is because they contradict a lot of the high values that we that have been produced in our society today especially around um you know same-sex relations or um, marriage or whatever like this contradicts that and that's just creates hard conversation and some people run at it some people avoid it and some people are trying to struggle through it in the midst of holding both sides of where people are at so sam i'm just wondering um just in the first you know few chapters what are some things that kind of stood out to you yeah yeah i do have a few notes i wanted to just kind of like add also to what you said is like like the why of these commands is so important like the commands themselves can be really important but we we were having this discussion before the podcast on like the why is so that the people can be holy with god like so that they can be united with him with his presence and like have that connection because that's something that i think is lost on us is like through the sacrifice of jesus to be in his presence is a lot easier than it was for the israelites and so, like, I think the meaning of it, like how profound it is, can sometimes easily be lost. And you correct me if you you disagree, but I think that for myself, I feel like I, I forget how privileged I am to have that close connection with Jesus. And, and then I read what the Israelites had to go through, and it just blows me away. Like, the, they've got so many different 
things they have to go through. And so then, yeah, I just forget why God gave these commands. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to push back against what you said, but what I'm going to say is uh, one thing that I think manifests itself um, that the comments that you're making is in chapter 26. So we'll kind of skip, skip ahead. And in chapter 26, um, kind of in the beginning, in the middle of the chapter in verse 23, it's talking about kind of the consequences for disobedience. And it says, and if by this discipline, so God's talking about like what he's going to do if his people fall away from himself. If by this discipline you aren't turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. And and I would totally agree that Jesus is far more accessible uh, in any moment to us today. But I also think he is just as easily inaccessible when we are disobedient, when we are going contrary to the way that God is desiring for us to go. And I think, again, though we do not have these physical representations of what it means to be close to God, I think the spiritual or the unseen representations are still there of being close to God or being far from God. And I think the thing that's that's kind of nice about this setup is like, you knew <laughs> whether you were close or not. And for us, sometimes we don't know. And that's where a lot of doubt and a lot of wondering comes into like Christianity today and following Jesus today. And so it's kind of holding like, it's nice to have that physical reality. It's also hard in different ways. And it's nice to have that spiritual reality, although in some ways it's hard too. And so I think what you said is totally true. And I also n think that the opposite, the being far from God is also true as well. We can be closer than we realize to Jesus and I think we can also be farther from him than we realize as well totally totally agree I love it um, to go back to the beginning chapters we're kind of jumping all over the place in this one what I wrote in my notes between Leviticus 17 and 18 is it's just kind of like it blows me away how much God you can read it in the language he uses he just cares so much about us and it and it truly hurts him when we choose to like wander astray when we choose to leave and like give ourselves to other gods that it hurts him and so that's why he's always saying I am the Lord your God uh, who brought you out of Egypt I am the Lord like he's reminding us the reader and reminding Israel who he is and why he has the right to say these things. I wrote down in my notes, uh, puppy analogy question mark, because I'm not sure that this is a great one. So, so again, I'd love to hear feedback. I think, um, I kind of see Israel as when I was young, my family, we adopted, we rescued a puppy. He had been in three homes two of them abusive and he just was like really scared he had a a name that was like not relating to him it was just not like great so we we brought him in we loved him my brother and I fell in love with him and in the beginning times and even still today he'll he'll try to run away he doesn't fully understand who we are and how we saved him but as we brought him in too, we taught him different ways of life. We, we gave him food regularly. We showed care for him. We taught him new tricks. We taught him to, to wait and then come to us when we called for him and things like that. And I think that this is kind of what God is doing 
with Israel is he he sees them in need, takes them, saves them, and is now teaching them a new way, teaching them a way to live and and then reminds them that hey like I am yours and I'm I'm like bringing you out and giving you these commands because I love you and because I know a greater way that that is greater than your life before so that's kind of like what stood out to me in 17 and 18 that it's just like these commands seem tough and they seem hard but it's like God is doing this because he loves us and because he wants us and just us or the other way around, that he doesn't want us to be worshiping other gods. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the things that makes that so so clear, at least the most stark, obviously. In, so in chapter eighteen, it kind of goes on this big list of um, that those unlawful sexual relations, and um, it, this w- when these things are said, when God's like, "Don't do this stuff," that means that other people are doing the stuff, and it's really really gross in in a lot of ways and really sad Um, these are things that the egyptians were doing these are things that the people of the land that they are about to go to the the canaanites the amorites the parasites the jebusites all these guys were doing these kinds of things and god is is setting apart a people not just he's, he's not giving them these things just because the other people are doing them but that he has a desired vision and i think the thing that just oh just kind of fires me up and makes me so sad at the same time is it's near the end of or kind of near the end of chapter 18 where um, it just talks about just child sacrifice and then in chapter 20 the the consequences or or what uh, the people of israel are supposed to do with people who who offer their children as sacrifices specifically to Molech, which is the one of the gods of the Amorites, and it's just like it's just it's sickening. And unfortunately, many of the other things that are mentioned in here, like don't don't really sicken us in the same way, um, but they're still like terrible in God's sight. But this one just just kind of frustrates me the most, and it's unfortunate because this is something that's practiced by the kings of Israel. In the future, in in First Kings eleven, Solomon builds and sacrifices to Molech, and you can assume that that was something that he did. In in Second Chronicles thirty three, the king of the king of Manasseh, or uh, I can't remember the name, um, also sacrifices his children. It's that that specific sacrifices them to Molech, and and this is the the desire of God of a um, that you see in Jesus's life and ministry that that you know. The kingdom of God is for for little children such as these. God has a high, 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 high value of young people, the innocent, the um, the moldable, the uh, he has he has a, a high love and a high value for these people, and and he has a high value for all people, but especially children, and they have no. That, that his people will not, this is one of the, the spaces that they will absolutely not um, participate in. And it's the one it's the one of these laws that actually attributes to another God that um, none of these other other sacrifices or these other um, sins are attributed to a different God. And so that means that there's just specific ways and things that they need to turn away from. But it's just like, God has a new way and it doesn't involve this and 
the punishment is severe and i'm frankly as a father like i'm i'm glad that it's severe (laughs) i'm glad that god takes these kinds of things this seriously Um, i'm also glad that we there is a a more of a a second chance a an opportunity for repentance um in some of these areas but i'm also yeah it's this kind of tension of like this should not be allowed and should not happen ever if you call yourself a part of the people of god should not be participating in things like this then (laughs) on a lighter note you have another chapter that talks about loving your neighbor as yourself it's great yeah it's really interesting as i read this uh, as i have read through exodus and leviticus in the past and and again now more than ever the state that our society is in like in the states we've got people fighting for two different beliefs and ways on working society and i read this and i'm like we have fallen so far astray like i imagine that if we were to truly live as god lays out in leviticus in exodus in numbers that our lives would be a lot better (laughs) that there wouldn't be as much uprising there wouldn't be all this fighting like like there's so much room for grace it's funny because something you hear and we were talking earlier something you hear about pastors when they say like the old testament is like less relevant because it's like just different or irrelevant because of the sacrifices they will also say that the old testament god is different he is like a god of punishment and the new testament god is a god of grace but you see it here that god is still so much a god of grace that even for the people you you mentioned it where in chapter 26 he's saying like if you live apart from me then i live apart from you and you will know but then at the end it says like if you come back if you acknowledge your ways then i am there with you i will remember my covenant with abraham isaac and jacob and i will come near and restore you so i think it's just so powerful how god is like always leaving room for grace with his people and and that the goal is always this pursuit of holiness. And that is something that even before reading this, like this is teaching me a lot in my pursuit of holiness, that a lot of ways I should live, a lot of practices I should have in, in, in my life that I have made, I have been in the last few months intentionally trying to make my life about this rapid pursuit of holiness, finding anywhere in my life that needs improvement, finding anywhere in my life that I feel like I'm strained from the spirit and and asking God to show me these areas and then and then I've been just trying as hard as I can to per- pursue them and like pursuing a healthy routine waking up on time and showering every day and like doing simple things but then also expanding it to be bigger in my life where I'm now making meals for myself and eating healthy and that's not something that I was doing as a broke college student and and it's just like as I read this I am seeing and wondering how perfect our society could be if we just listened more to what god asks (laughs) i don't know ben what do you what do you think of that yeah sam i think that um your your longing is 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 good um i think the one tough thing about you know desiring this for for a society or our societies in in particular is that you know we aren't a society that submits to yahweh (laughs) we we aren't and so i mean yeah it'd be nice 
Um, and I'm not like it would be really nice if that was the case, but then we'd all like th these are the stipulations for the people of God. God doesn't hold other nations, Egypt, accountable to the laws that He's given. He doesn't um, call other people groups to obey these things. But when you become a part of this nation, then you can participate in its flourishing. Later on in the ch in in the book, it says that essentially that you know. The, the foreigner, the sojourner comes in to the people of God and, and practices the feasts, the Sabbath, Passover, etc. And and if they want to follow Yahweh, the men and their family are circumcised and they are a part of the people and they partake in the blessing of the life that God has set out, but they also participate in the discipline when they don't follow that blessing. And the and I and I believe too. Like the 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 only the next time that's happening is when the New Jerusalem comes. That's the next time there will be a complete society that is under God's sole rule and not influenced by any other spiritual powers that are at play. But for now, we fight against not just flesh and blood, but spiritual rulers and and principalities. And so I think that the desire is 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 whole and it's good. Um, but it's not going to come just yet. And so we, we live in our micro societies within our churches and, and within the greater society, just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel demonstrating and pointing towards God amongst the nations of who he is, what he is like, and what he's all about. Um, a couple of things I just want to point out kind of before we end. Um, here is just Leviticus chapter 23. Just an interesting thing. Again, when we talk about um, how relevant is this to us today, this is the chapter on just the different feasts of the Lord. And multiple times in this chapter, it says this is going to be a holy convocation forever throughout your generations. And I'm just starting to wonder, what does forever mean? Does that is forever throughout your generations mean until Jesus comes and we don't have to do it anymore? Or, or not. Uh, it's just one of these things that I've said before that I'm just wrestling through and, you know, my wife and I are, are considering like trying to practice some of these in this coming year and, and have done a couple times this past year and to see if oh, maybe these are just set apart days that God still desires us to celebrate. Jesus celebrated them and, and we can ce celebrate the fulfillment of these feasts in Jesus, especially the spring feasts, which he is obviously fulfilled. But then the fall feast that will be fulfilled by his second coming, that they haven't even been fulfilled yet. And so um, maybe there'll be a time where I can share a little bit more about that another day. But it's just one of the questions that I have. And then the one the one thing that is kind of just near the end in, in chapter 26, uh, and Sam, you can comment on this too. Um, it says in chapter 26, verses 11 and 12, God says, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. And I, when I read this verse, um, there was uh, the, the thing, the word that came out to me specifically was this idea of dwelling. I will put my dwelling place. And the other word for this is, is tabernacle. I will put my tabernacle among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And this is the same word, if you're familiar the same word dwelling, the same word tabernacle is used in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He made his tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And this is a very specific reference to Leviticus chapter 11 and 12. It chapters Leviticus 26, 11 and 12 is a foretelling, a foreshadowing. There was a reality of God coming in smoke and cloud and thunder and lightning. And then he came in flesh and blood as a human being so that he may tabernacle in our hearts. He came once, he came fully again, and now he remains inside of us. And I just thought like, man, this is, this is again, just another layer of, it, it brings to such deeper meaning the reality of Jesus when we understand what was presented before and what people experienced before and shows us in a way how to practically go about that reality when when God comes and tabernacles among his people in a physical place and then God tabernacles among his people as a person and then God tabernacles among his people inside of his people we have a different way of going about it. We have a different way of not just appreciate, appreciating it, but also living it. So Sam, how about you just give us some, some closing thoughts on that and um, finish us off? Yeah. That's, uh, <clears throat> I, I have used that idea in a paper of mine that I wrote. And in the paper... I outlined how through Exodus and Leviticus, um, John, the gospel of John mirrors a lot of the imagery and wording in Exodus and Leviticus to, to highlight Jesus as the, the sacrificial lamb, the bread of life that walks us through the temple. So to, to briefly, without going into too much detail, to briefly get it. Um, in the first, to enter the temple of God, to enter the courtyard in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice something, sacrifice a lamb. In the beginning of Leviticus, it says uh, to have the lamb without broken bones. And in gospel, in the Gospel of John, it talks about how Jesus' bones, while he was beaten, his bones were not broken. So it kind of mirrors that. And then again, Jesus is the bread of life in the Gospel of John. And Exodus talks about the bread of life entering the tabernacle. And, and all of this imagery that the tabernacle, the dwelling of Jesus is within us. And and I think it's just like such a sweet idea that, that we have that presence with us all the time. And maybe a question to leave with the people uh, as they reflect on this bigger binge day and this bigger podcast is, is like, what does that mean for me? Like for me, I ask myself that all the time. Like the dwelling of God is literally with me. Am I living righteous? am I living treating it as such you know like do I live in a way that reflects the holiness of God with me all the time and sometimes I don't think I do that and then there are times that I do and it's just like a question I'm always asking myself and and for the listeners that maybe they can take some time to reflect like where in my life do I live like that or where in my life do I not Awesome, Sam. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, that is it for us today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow with day 26.